Tape Talks. The podcast for the recording artist. Brought to you by Klangkantine Studios. Hello and welcome to our first episode of our podcast Tape Talks. Today I have a guest that is calling in from Berlin that I regularly work with already and his name is Zino Mikurai and he's a mastering engineer. We are going to talk about mastering alongside with other things, I suppose. So hello Zino. Oh, by the way, I said Zino again. Your name is Zino, right? Yes, but it's, it doesn't matter. I'm good. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, you're, you're very welcome. And I'm uh, really glad you took your time this morning. Are you having a good sip of coffee? Yes, I do. I already had a session this morning without coffee, only with tea. And now I'm slowly getting into fast mode with the coffee. That's really good. So let's go into fast mode. I'm gonna just hop in and present you. Um, so you're a mastering engineer. We've been working together on uh, some productions already over the last, I don't know, how many years was this? Two, three, four? I can't remember even. But anyways, you're a Golden Platinum Awarded Mastering Engineer and you had the pleasure of working with so many great artists. There will be Nils Fram, Tom York, Olaf Anas, The Cooks, Parcels, Metronomy, and even recently with a German band called Annenmai Kanterreit. So, and you also develop mastering plugins with uh, Acoustica Audio. And yes. that's, uh, I heard of one plugin. How was it called again, Sino? It's called Azure. Yes. Yes. But I heard you've been working on some other stuff also recently. Yeah, next, we hope to be able to release something next year, but it's re developing a plugin is a tedious, very long process that, yeah, I don't know when we'll be able to release that. The last one took two years, so. <laughs> Probably next year is a bit too optimistic, but I hope we'll have a, a suite of plugins. I don't know how many yet, ah. but a couple ones, like a little, yeah, like a suite, mastering suite. Let's see how it turns out. Is there anything else you can uh, tell us? Is it like EQ, compressor, or is it just still top secret? <laughs> mm, yeah, we. The, the question really is how the technology evolved, because... The technology has taken a huge step ever since we did the first plugin. But the question is how intelligent we can make it, how auto it can be, um, talking about attack release times and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I would love to have something that is a little like set and forget, but no, I mean, set and forget never works, but at least into the direction <laughs> of it. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so we'll we can see. be happy about something. I mean, I think later on we will talk in this episode also about some AI stuff. Maybe you can reveal some knowledge you acquired during uh, the development of that plugin uh, in, in this regard. So, um, But let's hop in and learn something about yourself. I, Zino, tell me, how did you get Mastering Engineer? I mean, that's a, like a big title almost something one can yeah. have and uh <laughs> tell me a little bit about your story how did you get there i i i used to be just a musician and then i started uh, making music on the computer then 
had wrote tons of songs, then slowly went over to producing, then from producing to mixing, and then from mixing to mastering. And in the beginning, I was rather sad to not get the mixes or not have all the possibilities I would have loved to have, because as a mixer, you can, you can still make moves like a producer regarding arrangement or maybe reprogramming or replaying a track that doesn't work that is maybe most important and so in the beginning i was rather sad about it and now i'm super happy to be only mastering but um do you think it is necessary that you through lived all these different stations as producing recording mixing is that necessary to be a good mastering engineer to really have worked in these domains I guess so. The The thing is for me, maybe most mastering engineers, they literally only do the mastering part of it. So they get a song, they do their thing and they send it back. And I always try to find the spot where the production or the song really needs help. And that's maybe because I have worn so many different dresses or, or let's say I have so many ideas as a producer or a mixer to maybe help the song even more so for me mastering is more as a last step where you can still do everything and if i think the snare needs help or if i think the arrangement or you know what it is then maybe that helps but i don't know there's surely some mastering engineers out there doing a great job that haven't been a musician producer blah 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 but at least it helps me to find out where the problem lies and most of the time it's not fixed with EQ or compression, but with yeah arrangement or also, for example, if I find a problem in the song, I most of the time, I don't fix the problem. I just tell the mixer or producer where the problem lies. And if you fix it earlier than on the two bus, there is, there are new opportunities or a new space that is created. And if I just go in and kind of fix the problem tonally, then it's only fixed, but there's nothing new has come out of this. And um, I mean, uh, having worked with you on uh, quite some productions already, I know that you kind of not have an amount of work you do always. It's sometimes you do little and sometimes you feel it, it is necessary to do a lot. So... Uh, I, that that's something I, I really value that get me working with you uh, over a long period also um, but that brings us to the, the next thing maybe this is a good spot to maybe try to define because I get asked these questions a lot for instance when I mix a track hey do we need mastering what does a mastering engineer actually do you know there's these <laughs> conceptions or misconceptions of, of of mastering being like sorcery black magic high expectations <laughs> versus low expectations i mean how the hell would you define mastering do you have kind of a out of the pocket mastering definition ready for us uh yeah i mean the very end is the out of listening and You, you book a mastering engineer to listen to your production and mix as a, as a new person that hasn't heard it. He doesn't have anything um, in it. So he doesn't need the vocal to be like this or doesn't need the drums to be like this. Everybody else at some point has something um, in it that they want to keep. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to keep anything. I hear it the first time um, 
And it's really only about listening. Also, when I'm mastering, I try to still stay in the position of the listener and not of the position uh, in the position of the person doing something to it, because I still want to hear what I've done. Yeah, objectively, I guess. So yeah, it's it's the mastering engineer should be in the best sense a listener who has no no interest in in the song being something that it's not so you're not the one that wants to be heard basically yeah exactly that's also why i'm why i've invested so much or built so many so much gear because i don't want to be there i want to do what the song needs but i don't want to be there you know all right so you're the the invisible guy in the background that wants to help as much as possible i hope you hope <laughs> That the funny thing is, uh, you probably had it before. If you get something back, if you get a master back, it never sounds like I've been there. Um, and you go like, oh, wow, this and that happened. Obviously, lots of stuff is happening, but it's never that you have the feeling that it's not yours anymore. But if you take 10 masters from different artists, different mixers, and you put them on one CD and maybe level match them a bit, they would still work together. So... A, you're not really de there, but B, there is some sort of signature or sound that I'm obviously going for that I need to say, okay, this sounds mastered, this is finished. Yeah. And maybe the other thing is the amount of records. So I've done so many records within the last year. So this it's obviously crazy, but the, what I mean is that since I'm doing so many records, I have this sort of idea how everything is at the moment, how it sounds at the moment. Also, I'm always going or always super active about how does music sound at the moment? How much low end can I push? How much top end can I push? Or how are vocals sitting at the moment? So obviously, I try to make every record for eternity and not have too much fashion or dated sound on it but still if you listen back to something that's five years or ten years old there's way different low end way different top end and obviously yeah and need to have it sound modern yeah but still i must say i mean um i think that's that's a, that's a fact that you get when you continuously work with people they they do sound but i i, I would i would disagree on the fact that you are not there at all because there is some I don't know, I, I would put it that way, that you have some particular aspects of a master that would be important to you. For instance, I would I, I would think that you have the space and also um, bass that would be, I, I find, particularly interesting in your masters, that you care about it a lot, right? Would, would you agree on that? Totally. The, the space, like the size and the sort of holographic quality, but I would say of the mix. So most of the time what I'm doing is feature what's in the mix um, and kind of preserve. The, the processing that most mastering engineers use takes away the bass, takes away the space, diminishes kind of groove and dynamics. And if, and just me, trying to keep it or me being in love with the mix, me listening to the mix, celebrating the mix, will keep those things. Because even if you just take a limiter and you start limiting 
not even to the amounts that it's particularly loud, you will already lose the last octave. You will already lose depth, stereo. So I don't, I, yeah, obviously it's my taste and what I want, but I see it more as a preservation than something that I overdo or something. But yeah, obviously. I get that's, it, yeah. Yeah. But that's a good spot to ask the questions. I mean, what can you expect Like, like, no bullshit. What can you expect and what can you not expect from a great mastering engineer? Um, you should as expect that it's better than what you sent him. <laughs> so I'm, I'm <laughs> laying good. low, low. No matter, I mean, it should be better. It should, for me, it has to sound more dynamic, more open, wider, deeper. The, the groove should either get better and feel a bit snappier, faster more agile or it should not change obviously if the mix is great and i try to get the mixes to the point where i really love them before i start mastering in the first place mm -hmm. then i don't want the groove to get worse while being loud and the next thing is you shouldn't hear that it's loud like whenever i i feel that the loudness is now doing something to the song then i try to either get it loud a different way or go go backward level And it should get like, okay, here's the, the better thing. You should get your song back and you listen to it and you don't think about the mix anymore. You don't think about production anymore. Don't think about the master anymore. You're just listening to it and you're happy and you kind of, it's done. You're happy. It's finished. And all the, all the problems or whatever has been in there are past. So what can you not expect then? Let's put it this way. I mean, uh, as, as a mixing engineer, I sometimes have the case that you have uh, a self-producing artist that hands you in a mix and they uh, kind of, you know how it is, sometimes they don't have the best uh, options to, to actually hear what they're doing. So you, you, you yeah. get some roughs and these roughs obviously have some... I don't know if they had some modes in the room or anything that happens, you know, that you have a high bass or a low bass or no bass at all or whatever happens. And then you fix that, which you de define as obvious problems. Obviously, that results in some level changes. And sometimes you, you might be lost because, I mean, obviously, in mixing, you have some more buttons to push. Yeah. And let's say if you would hand in that rough to mastering, would you be still the one who would try to fix that? Or would you say, hey, um, let's go back to mixing or let's go back to producing or arrangement even? Do you have cases like that? Yeah, of course. And also a lot of people now get in contact way earlier to, to find out what they have to do to make it ready for mastering or to even find out what they have. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I will always try. Obviously, if it's a good if it's a good mixing engineer, I can do very little to it because it's already where it should be. I'm not gonna change it just to be there. And if you get a a demo mix, then you have to do more. And for me as a mastering engineer, both is great. So if I get a demo mix that has all, or I'd rather get the demo mix with all the vibe than a mix mixed by a great mixer where everything is sort of bored out mm -hmm. or or overly straightened or by the rule book. Yeah, I, I totally get what where you're coming from. Um, but talking about this, I mean, the point is also, I, I get 
ask that a lot as well. I mean, where does mixing end and mastering start? Because all the, the topics that you just touched, what you do, could also apply to a mixing engineer. So totally. where, where, is, where do you draw the line or is there any? No, I don't draw a line. I don't like obviously the one is with a stereo file and EQ and uh, and the other one is with faders on different things. But in the very end, what we're trying to do is probably the same. And I think probably the also equipment choice wise, I have equipment that doesn't sound like I've done something on the mix, but the mix is better now. I get it. You know? Yeah. No, they're, they're really, I've, I, tr I, I simply try to not get myself or not be in the position that you have to fix something that should be fixed somewhere else. You know, even if you get a shitty snare, you would probably um, talk to the producer about the snare instead of triggering something or overly cueing it. You would first go in and find out yes. if the snare, because maybe the snare is ex supposed to be exactly like it is, but you just don't know yet because you're not in the genre or you don't like this particular snare or we all have our things we love and not I, some kick drums I just don't like, but mm -hmm. obviously they need to be exactly like it. So I don't change them. Yeah. Plus, or, or the or options, or. if you have a stereo sum, are less than you would if exactly if you have that. Yeah. Or if you, for example, you have a vocal, there's the old, old saying, um, even on, in the mixing stage. So you have a vocal that is overly brittle, but it sits perfectly in the mix. Mm -hmm. If you would go in and fix the frequencies on the vocal itself, it would dive back into the mix. And then you need to do something to get it back in the position where it was. If you put the same EQ curve on the master, then the position of the vocal in the mix would stay, but the brittleness is gone. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no... I'm sorry, maybe I'm too vague here, but I... <laughs> no, like, it's not good. Literally, I just try to not, to not sort of be forced to do something, but rather be free and be able to decide what needs to be changed and where it needs to be changed. And that's why I communicate so much to make that happen. Because if you just would go into the, into every day with just the booking and not listen to the stuff, then mm -hmm. you would be trapped to fix it now because the release date is, or the deadline is today. But if you listen to it one week earlier and then you already find out what's the problem, talk to everyone, then They need to, they can do the decision. They can make the decision to either change it or not change it. Um, and there's definitely some opportunities in that. If they hear the problem, because the problem is there, they're not hearing it anymore. If you wash their ears, then they hear it. This will create opportunity and space in the mix, and then you have it. That's a great option. That's what I value about the work. Yeah, but it takes, obviously, takes a lot of time, right? To do yeah. that. Yeah, it takes a lot of time, lots of organizing and sometimes it doesn't work out if you have a busy week then um yeah sometimes it doesn't work out so you need to be so you need to be organized <laughs> yeah you always need to be organized yeah but that's like i have a great system at home i have great um headphones at home so i can do it when my for example my daughter goes to sleep mm -hmm. then i'm listening to some mixes and write feedback that's What you have to do and i want to make the records like this and i don't want to fix something 
I just want to finish the records. You know what I mean? So you really, yeah. everybody makes a decision. Also, when somebody, I have to sometimes when people go like, oh, we really love it, but can we change a little bit here and there? And they think that it, this is annoying, but I actually love this. Like If you're everybody's happy or you're so close and then you just invest the last hour to make it perfect. And that could be just fixing some, like shifting some track markers. It could be automating uh, some strings in the C part, uh, whatever it is, like to make it as perfect as we can. That's why we are in this, right? At the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, totally. We can, I always tell the people like, if we can now change everything, but once it's out, You can't change everything and you will never re-release um, things, you know, because of any cue cut or because of one instrument. It won't happen. So let's do it now. Yeah. Um, and it's the worst feeling in the world that a track is out there and um, yeah. you, you, you feel unhappy about something because you were stressed at that very moment and it stays there exactly. forever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and sometimes you can't change it. That That's also okay. Like sometimes records come and I try to change it, but I realize it's it probably won't happen because either the mixer or the producer or the label is heavily uh, into what has happened there. Mm -hmm. But other times I had a record once. It was the Andreas Kümmert album. I don't, I think he released another one ever since, but it came and it was so loud and so squashed. It was pumping and distorting. So I called the mixer and the producer and I was just asking them like, guys, if it would be pumping or distorting, then, you know, you at least have some sort of room where you can go in. And then they were like, yeah, no, but we're in front of the deadline. We can't change. We can't change it now. And they would not be ready to invest the hours it takes wow. to talk to everyone. And wow. then I said, do I have, if I, if I can, if I'm able to take it down and, um, kind of save the record would you be in for that and everybody thought like it's impossible anyway so they said yes and i think i called the the artist and the manager of the artist and they were both open and i took it down 3 db or 4 db even and it completely opened up everything just kind of the, the choruses are back the space is back the low end is back the groove is back and then at the very end all that they said was it's surprising because it's not that It's really not that more quiet now, but it gained so much. So there, the step was not mastering, like obviously mastering it as well, but the step there was being the one that gets in the way and says, stop, this is all fucked. Mm -hmm. And then making the calls, you know, that was the biggest step. Obviously the, the headroom I created for myself and the frequencies I was able to push afterwards, but wouldn't have been able to master it this way without making the call first. Sorry, I'm getting from somewhere to anywhere. No, no, no. That's a that's a great story to tell. I mean, uh, and it obviously shows something that you know what is possible if you if you go the extra mile, right? And if yeah. you're willing to get there and to to invest it uh, to get something great out of it, I think that's that's a good illustration for that. But that brings me to another question. I have I actually in all our phone calls, uh, I never ask you this, so I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk with you now. <laughs> is um, you might know that. I'm also somebody, if I send a mix, I'm usually happy with it, and I don't want it to be changed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But that's why I do not 
send you individual stems. I do not send you drums, vocals, or vocals and instrumentals independently. But I saw that um, on your website even, and even also on some other mastering websites, there's so many people tend to go in that direction lately to offer stem mastering options. Yeah. Why is this? I mean, I mean, it obviously makes sense from the regard what you're saying that you try to get the best out of it and you have the option of getting more out of it. But then the question remains, hey, what? where does, again, mixing and mastering, the line gets even more blurry. And plus, why do you want this? I mean, what what is the target group of STEM mastering? Tell me about it. How do you see that? I see STEM mastering, especially with people that have been mixing for a long time. And since they do everything themselves from idea to finished mix, if you send a production and mix that are almost finished to a mixer, most of the time they will have to do something for their money. You know what I mean? So they will mix it. They will mix it. They will automate it. And most of the time, it's not meant to be so rude, but most of the time, that's it's a lot of evening out. It's a lot of um, kind of... S standard is such a hard word. But a lot of times I would have rather gotten the rough mix than the mix because the rough mix has all the energy and so if you do the stem mastering you can have your mix but with all the dimension added and i can do obviously so much more with that than with a stereo song and um i do lots of automation I, like i literally see it more as a mixer than a mastering engineer And if you have something that you really like or you're a producer with lots of experience and you've chosen all the sounds wisely and you're not able to get the bass, kick and the instrumental and the vocals to work together and it's this one is overpowering the other one and then the vocal is too loud or it's too low and you know this whole back and forth, then stem mastering is such a great alternative because you just send it away and you know you will get back what you had with all the dimension and no more problems in the low end, etc. You would define it as uh, as um, self-recording artists and self-mixing artists with lots of experience. But it, um, as if I understand you right, it does not replace a mix. It's just like adding something. If you have great roughs already, let's put it like that. Is that kind of a... If the sounds are what you want, the, the point is if it's only about balances and making stuff work together... It's, the, it's a great alternative. Obviously, if you have a lead vocal that needs tons of work, if, it's, um, if the whole production is somewhere, then it just needs that much more work, you know? Mm -hmm. So I won't go in and uh, automate every S or, um, you know, make a couple of backings work together. That's what the producer or mixer needs to do. But if you know what you're doing and you're, obviously your speakers are great and the balances are right, then it's a great opportunity. But if the lead, lead vocal is somewhere and the backings are somewhere and the piano is somewhere, then you need to go to a mixer. Because most of the time the mixer will also tune, will also edit and Obviously, if I get the stamps, I can't do all of this stuff. So it's more about, are you close to the finish line, but you can't get it there your own? Then stem mastering is probably a, the better way. But if you're somewhere and maybe you're even, um, this has taken a long, 
step, then it's better to get a mixer in and fix the stuff that needs fixing. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes mixers, like sometimes also mixers lose perspective. And they've been working on the song forever. And then the artist comes back and there's a new kick and a new bass. And then this happens and they re-record yeah. the second verse. And then they do this. Then at some point the mixer is in the same position as the artist and producer. And then it's... Totally. Um, or sometimes it's the deadline as well. Uh, you, They would love to have more time and do it. But today is the deadline. So they send me the stems because they know if when they get it back, it's done. Yeah, and sometimes it takes so much pressure off you if 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 an artist comes in and and from the first time he steps into the studio and you are aware of the fact that there is external mastering taking place because I get asked so many times that you know we want to save that mastering and I mean it's like well you know um, it's it, it's something that that has so much pressure on you I can say that as a producer who regularly mix the own productions as well is um, that. Yeah it's exactly how you say that you lose the ears somewhere along the way. I mean, you you always have the opportunity and it saves you time, right? And and therefore money as well, because sometimes I have the feeling I need to let it rest for a week, not listening to it and then revisit it to get a little bit of that objectivity back that I had maybe at the beginning or that you actually only have at the beginning. So I was also sometimes, I mean, you might remember, <laughs> I was so happy to send you out the tracks before and uh, yeah. you getting back to me and say, hey, Chris, the snare does sound like a big clown popping out of the mix. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this mix. <laughs> he was waving. I'm like, oh, shit, I, I kind of uh, kill your darlings. I love the snare, but it was too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great option. Uh, <laughs> But Tino, talking about this, I mean, can you name the let's let let let's put it like internet block style the three worst things that you can do to a mastering engineer? Pick any. <laughs> What do you think? Um, the three the the number one worst thing is have a super harsh, bright, loud version that you've been listening to all the time. Oh yeah, because everybody will get used to the harshness to the point where they're yeah they're they're not he hearing it anymore and then you give them something balanced and it sounds like it has no more energy or something like that so that's i guess number one to make the the demo itis um the worst to overcome is have something bright and loud yeah that's pretty much the worst then the next one would be like nowadays i feel like we always have the possibility to go back there's not really much um, but maybe something harsh and dull would also be a thing that you have to go into fixing mode that I think if you're into fixing mode, then you can't see the bigger picture anymore. So something that's harsh, but also kind of dullish and closed in is, would be number two. Mm -hmm. And other than that, there's not many things you can do now to, to make it horrible filtering could be the next one mm -hmm. like people overly filter stuff and the worst you can do to your audio is um is a so-called mono maker or a cut on the side signal okay maybe if if it shouldn't be too technical but imagine it like this if you're filtering that means at the filter frequency at the minus three db point your signal is phase reversed so if you 
cut the base of the sides of your signal. So the stereo information, for example, at 150, which doesn't sound very high. So you would think that if you just cut away everything underneath 150 on the sides, not much stuff would happen. But now the side information is phase reversed at 150 hertz, mm -hmm. meaning it's side reversed. If you change the phase, that means you change the side. So everything that was right will now be left and vice versa. And it will go there gradually. So you're pretty much screwing up all this, all the directivity and left-right information underneath 300, 400, 500, depending on the filter you have. So I will not be able to change that back. And the signal will just be blurred and all the depth is gone. Yeah. So, and that's also the funny thing is the best feedback I get is when I fight against uh, mixes or, or like uh, self masters that have a lot of this mastering processing on, like the Bobcats K stereo, for example, or the monomakers or all the, the crazy clippers and limiters. And they screw up so much that most of the time, if I would fight against the mix, the master would probably be even better, but I'm still able to get anywhere they got without doing all this half harmful processing. And then in the very end, you obviously have a way different signal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we're not talking about, um, which is great. I mean, we talked about three things that you can do to you, which uh, are like from the mix side, right? How about, mm -hmm. you know, how about personal stuff? I mean, which sentences do you hate? You know, do you have some sentences where, where <laughs> clients call you and say like, and you just like internally say, oh, shut up. Or maybe externally, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at the very end, if people don't realize what they have, that makes me sad. But sometimes people really go for something that doesn't suit the music or Or they do something and then at the mastering stage, they want to they wanna do something else. For example, there was a band that I used to work with a lot and that I don't work for now anymore because it was just too distracting and too crazy for me. And the band always had lots of reverb. Everything was very sort of low midi, darkish in the back. And they always did this and I always told them like it's way too much reverb if you dial back the reverb this will happen this will happen and this will happen then they dialed back the reverb just a touch not even to the point that I thought it's good now and they already said oh no the vibe is missing it's not us anymore mm. so I said yeah okay then we'll not change anything I'll just do whatever and then always they were always happy with the master everything was great but then just maybe two weeks prior to release they started comparing it to bands that are the exact opposite mm. crazy clipped harsh bright guitars crazy uh, everything was just like over the top and if then somebody calls and they're super anxious about their release and they uh, tell you that they think their music sounds like this and like that, and then you listen to it and you know that it sounds like this, but that's also the the charm or the the great part about it. But they don't really hear it. And this is in a su successful band, you know, and when they bring out a song, it's very emotional. The fans react great to it. So it's not that anybody ever had a problem with their sound, but they always do. 
and they can't really they can't really see what they have and how emotional their product is how how good the mix sounds as a roomy darkish mystical mix and then they just compare it to something that is just kind of squashed in your face and that's yeah and I've I did that and did that and did that and always went for it and they always said like yeah come by guys we'll have a listen come by we'll do this but after I don't know three years and it was also during corona where I didn't have a lot of time anyway and then the whole thing started and to be honest I just couldn't take it anymore I couldn't yeah have them not see how great the song is not see how great it's working but just being sort of trapped in this horrible reference and we were listening to it in the studio and i showed them all the artifacts the other stuff had mm -hmm. how bright it was that we couldn't listen to it loud and really get into it and then i played their song and it was we could turn it up all the way you know yeah. and it was loud and big and the chorus was hitting and then we measured it and i told him like the the other song will be played back three four db lower and da, 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 da. but at the very end it didn't make like i i wasn't able to tell them that their their producer is great the band is great and they should just kind of try to see what they have i remember the producer even told me one time that the last time he was visiting me at the studio was a very sad moment for him and i was so surprised because i told him that he's a great producer and he should believe in himself and what he has his sound his style is special and i really like it but all he could hear is that he does it differently than the producer he's looking up to. So he, even though I completely, how do you say, praised what he was doing, he still heard it as if I was hitting on his production style, which I wasn't. Yeah, all right, I get it. Yeah, but that's 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 sometimes the thing. I had also experiences um, a lot of times where people get very emotional when the stakes are high, right? When you have a product and everybody has high expectations. And um, that's also where I was a little bit aiming for with that question. I'm glad you brought this up because I often had the case that it's it's all about, you know, the big term managing expectations, right? Everybody always has more or less hidden expectations to a certain phase in the production. May it be mixing, mastering, recording, producing, whatever. Yeah. And I think if if people are able to reflect on what to expect and what not to expect, this could solve so many problems are and are aware of their own anxiousness. You know, if, totally. if they have like a, a, a good style of communication, first of all, I think especially when working with people who are attached to their own emotions that much as artists, uh, which is which is a good thing. But also, uh, I, I feel that sometimes it is a trap where you can easily get lost in anxiousness, emotion, expectations, and maybe even pressure from, you know, release label side, whatever. Do you have any approaches where you consciously say, oh, we're going this way? We need to steer in that direction to keep that from happening. There's never a moment where I think I know it better or I need to do something now. So I will always communicate and I would rather try and try and try and go to version three or four than talk too long. Like I would never get in the way and say, no, no, that's not right or whatever. 
I just thought of something this morning regarding expectations. I did an album for an artist who used to work for one of the biggest mastering engineers, like the biggest one maybe in the last 20 years. Um, and he got the masters two weeks ago and he really liked it, but somehow he didn't know what to do with my masters. So he was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. And I said, like, what do you need? What, what's, what's your problem? But he didn't know. He was just like, he, he liked everything, but he was expecting something different. So I told him, you know, to just come by and we'll have a listen together, switch back to the mix. Mm -hmm. And today, he didn't tell me this before, but today when he was in the studio, he, he said, yeah, you know, we have this reference and that reference. And I said, oh, wow, I didn't know you had a reference. And I didn't also know how, what he was expecting from the mastering. And Somehow he was happy, but somehow he expected something different. And in the very end, we boosted the top end 12 kilohertz super wide Q 2 dB. So for me, that's not a big change because I'm not a big fan of top end or like top end that's only top end. I don't really need it. Then I'd rather choose the, the darker one because you have better access to the music and compared to the brighter one where you're busy with the noise up there, the silvery metallic parts of it and then so just boosted to db of top end so every song got a little different boost and then everything was happening for him but the mass the master was the exact same so there was no change in like what what i'm changing the positions of instruments the depth the the sort of power that's it's only top end like it for me it's a brighter representation but it doesn't change anything in the music so all the changes i did were on the music the vocal needed a lift here it sounded a bit this da, 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 da. and then we put the top end on and then he was happy so if he would have either sent the reference from the beginning or would have said like you know the mixes sound way too dark then i would have done this right away but for him And the funny thing is that he also had the experience working with a mastering engineer for a couple of years. And that's why he was probably so surprised or not surprised, but he didn't know what to do with it because the other guy obviously made everything super bright. So he was expecting it to get super bright. And then he listened to it and he said like, yeah, it's great. The, the bass got better, da, 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 da. but I don't know because it didn't get this much brighter. Or maybe I saw it more... I think I saw the whole record more acoustic than he did, and he saw it more pop, more noisy. So it's just like based on listening experience that you expect a certain sound to, for a master to have to be finished. Was it that happening in his head? Yeah. Was it like, hey, masters have to be that bright to be like industry standard or something? Maybe. Or maybe he expected a bigger change, like a more okay, I'm the guy, I'm going to change it now for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe he ex expected more, what do you say, more me in this. But the mixes were great. I already revised the mixes anyway. So the mixes were how I wanted them. And then I just did my usual spatial, you know, the, the whole opening it up, giving it a better stage thing because the, mass, the, the mixes itself were great. Mm -hmm. But And the funny thing is, but in the very end, 
if I listen back to my version and the one with the top end, I prefer the one with the top end because now I understand his vision. It's weird. You know, sometimes it's so little details. I have been thinking about a band that uh, that, that came by and um, I, I did a mix. And it was kind of the same. They were, I, I sensed that they were somewhat unhappy. And, and it's so good to have them there to just talk about that. And in my case, it was just like the vocals were like, I took them down by 1dB. And it was it, mm -hmm. you know, everything. It was just like, but nobody could like really articulate it, um, that it was exactly this. But and at the end of the day, I think that's the job that we have also as as professionals, maybe, to totally. to sense where it is going. You cannot expect, you know, uh, from the artist to say, hey, take the vocals down for 1dB and that will be good. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, it, it takes a lot of time to get, you know, maybe to, to get the... Read uh, it good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I also think that as an engineer, one of the maybe the most important part is communication and to bridge the gap. Yes. If you, if you do that, then you can work with everyone and everybody will be happy because it's easy to communicate and you will get where you wanted to go in the first place. That's why I also don't like big discussions as much. I'd rather try two, three things than talk yes. about it for half an hour because on the way, Either something new will happen or you will realize that it's not the right way or you will realize what they wanted in the first place and you were thinking something different. Yes. Yeah. I had the story. Who was it? It was a rapper and I was talking about him with a couple of producers and the guy never, he never kind of took the dive to find out what he, what was disturbing him. But for example, at one time it was a Hyatt that gotten a touch too loud. And then he just wrote back, I don't feel this at all anymore. And everybody was so kind of shocked and yeah. also sad because now he didn't feel it anymore. And it sounded like the beat was off the record. The track was off the record when it was simply the Hyatt's being too loud. And he was so disappointed. Yeah, no, it's, it's horrible and blah, blah, blah. And, and then the producer said, like, you can't do this. You can't do this to us. You have to put in the time and find out what's distracting you because now everybody's off. Nobody has the, the nobody wants to work on something where they lost uh, the interest in or something. So I totally feel that, you know, you know, on, on, a, on a very human level, we have to keep each other motivated. But obviously, these processes take a lot of time. Sometimes it goes really quick, um, but sometimes it, it takes ages to, to get to the spot. But then you're happy you got it. But that's, you know, I, I, I want to talk with you about one topic that is um, a little bit of a taboo to talk about, people say, but it's money, right? So Money, yeah. Yeah, it's... People hate about talking with money, but I think this is also a big topic, especially in mastering. You also know, and you know, people you probably do not compare about. It's all these, you know, send me a track, I'll send you the master back, and you know, send me a, a free test mastering and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's a big industry. At the end of the day, there's so many hundreds and probably thousands of engineers making business like that. Yeah. And I just recently finished a record from some of those guys who sits in Nashville and uh, you know and got the masters back and I, I did the mixes and I really liked them and you got them back at minus six LUFS or something like that so really loud and <laughs> yeah, I asked crazy. him hey why do you do this because I mean we're going to talk about like uh, all this uh, loudness topic maybe later on if you have fine time but and he said you know 
hey, I can send you more dynamic ones, but it will be an extra, you know, I don't know, fifty dollars. Extra charge. Oh wow. Yeah, I can do you something like that. And it's like and at the end of no, don't matter. And I was not the one paying for it. I was just, you know, I like to speak with the mastering engineer. So for most of yeah. the clients I get in touch with the mastering engineer to give them, you know, some extra input if they need any yeah. and have the link there if it's needed. But, you know, I mean, obviously, I know your prices and they're on the website as well. And I know the other prices. What, what do you think of that? I mean, what's, what's the deal? So in the very end, speaking generally, I look at my catalog, I don't want to have a shitty record or a squashed record in my catalog. So I always try to do that. But money wise, I think it's more of a how many bookings do you have? How much can you do? How big is the the whole thing? For example, the price on my website is a price per song, but that includes communication, feedback. So in the very end, it's it's quite cheap for what is happening. Oh yeah, I agree. You know, yeah. so uh, it's quite funny, even though I'm as expensive as the most expensive ones in Germany. So yes. It's not cheap, but it's also not expensive. Germany is, is very cheap yeah, for, for totally. mastering if you compare it to Britain or And the, the funny thing is that most of the guys that are super expensive, no, I don't want to hate. No, I don't want to hate. I'm not <laughs> saying this. But I asked one guy at some point because he had a studio with all the gear, did tons of records, and he only cost, I don't know, 40 euros. So I asked him, like, man, you've been in this for 20, 30 years. Why do you only charge 40 euros? And then he said, because he's doing 25 or 30 songs a day. Oh, yeah, good for him. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's horrible because I, obviously, I, I charge three times that much, but I only do an album a day. So I'm going to invest the time. I'm not going to take it, run it through my usual chain and, you know, try to get it done as fast as possible. I'm listening to it. I'll, I'll invest the time. If it takes two days, then it takes two days. If a song takes four hours or if I'm in the song and I realize I won't be able to do it, I have to go back to the mixing stage, then I will do that. So I, I charge the amount that I have to charge to do what I do, kind of, because I don't want to be trapped in thinking, like, oh, I already spent half an hour on this song. This is now getting expensive for me. But this guy, he's literally just in it to do as much songs as possible for the amount. Or other, so other guys say that their genre doesn't have money. And mm -hmm. there's another thing with somebody calling you, um, telling that they love what you're doing, they love your work, but they only have X amount of money. And that equals to me as as if I would be investing in the project because now I'm cutting my rates, meaning I give them, I invest in the project. So first question is, do I want to do this project again? Do I do a one, do I want to do another record like this? Yeah. That depends. That's number one. If I don't want to do it anyway, I wouldn't take it even if they would pay the full rate, because if I have an album out there performing good that I don't want to do again, I will have to do this album again. So I don't want to do this. So first of do I even want to invest in it? And then the next question is, why don't they invest in it? If it's their product, they're going to release it. They will be on tour with it. Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Why don't they invest in it if they already spent all this time? And in the very end, it's not 
easy, like you're not easy to find. I'm maybe a little easier to find, but still a mastering engineer is not like a supermarket. So you will have to get involved to even find out who we are in the first place. And then you choose me and then you look at the prices and da da da. da and also I've, I have um, written on my website how I work, that you, I'm super happy about listening to the mixes early. Da, 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 da. So if you're not, if you don't want to be involved anyway, like full time, and you're just trying to grab something that you don't think your music is worth, because otherwise you would invest anyway, then the whole thing is not laced with pure energy or yeah. pure intention anyway. Exactly. I mean, obviously, there is a budget for everything. And some some things might be out of reach, because simply put, because you don't have the money, you know, yeah, of course. but, but the thing is, what I feel what you put on the table is energy, right? That's the thing working totally. in music. That's what you put in communication, time and energy, energy, energy. And it's, sometimes it can be exhausting, maybe and maybe I don't know, of course, some people pick the way of, hey, I'm tired. And, uh, Because also, I mean, I, I told you earlier that I was having a couple of beers with Andrew Sheps and Chad Blake earlier this year before Corona hit. Yes. And um, my my biggest heureka moments were that they said, you know, Chris, that never ends. You know, even even if you have like so and so many Grammys on the shelf, uh, it, it never changes. You always have to go that path. It's never easy. It's You always have to deal with the same artists that you might not understand in the first place and it's never that they you know they have expectations you might not be able to read them in the correct way and so on and whatsoever so you know i could only imagine that sometimes you get tired right did you have moments like that where you said oh shit i cannot deal with it anymore i get tired it's so hard to say because i'm always interested in what happens so i think i'm more interested like the thing is mixing is a whole different ballpark than mastering. You know, if you if you mix a whole day on one song and then the the most crucial points of it are wrong, that has so many more that's so much more to do than if I don't have enough top end or low end. So most of the time it goes so fast to make a change that I'm I don't really have it. But obviously I told you the story earlier where I really had to kind of let the band go. Yeah. Even though they're good friends, but I had to let it go because it's not the, I, I don't want to make records like this. I want to be happy when something is finished. You either ruin the record or ruin the friendship, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, but in the very end, I don't think there will ever be a point where I am sort of finished. And now I'm, um, you will always have a, a client that wants something else that here is a different really, but it's, it's an opportunity to understand and learn really hard to say. I don't think I had the moment where I was really tired and, uh, anything, but, um, definitely parts of it, or sometimes there's just so many mixes to listen to that I don't even know which mix to listen to first and then just let the weekend go by and then I come in on Monday. Maybe an important thing would be a, a little disconnected, but also sort of more general is to not feel the pressure. And if you don't, if you can't handle it today, then forget about it and enjoy the day because you will be able to handle it tomorrow or the day after, mm -hmm. or there will be a day where you just get back to it and go like, yeah, that was easy. And it doesn't feel easy today. Maybe it, it's not meant to be happening today. 
same as yeah obviously i'm always trying to be as fast as possible with everything but sometimes it just doesn't work yeah or i'm in a session all day and then i'm in the session and there's emails coming in constantly and the phone is vibrating and you could get stressed but have to get over it but yeah i think with time comes experience and um and this will calm you down to not overly react to it that's a good way of putting it yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nice uh life advice <laughs> you're giving yeah, I think so. for every every genre or every part Situation. in the industry you work with yeah exactly yeah. um We, we've been talking already a long time, but there's one topic I might want to touch as the last thing. I just remarked that we didn't touch the topic loudness at all for a podcast episode about mastering, <laughs> which I ah, yeah. assume it's, it's actually a good thing to happen, maybe. Um, <laughs> um, before we head to the last question I have for you... Um, I know the answer already for it, but maybe um, uh, just uh, just to to um, to point it out to our fellow listeners, optimization, loudness optimization for the file for different platforms. Is this important? Does it does it make sense to make it as loud as possible on the individual platforms or not? What's the issue with loudness? How do you see this? How do you approach this? So I give a. Sh Most of the time I give a shit about loudness. It's always only about the sound because every every loudness is a sweet spot. If you push more, you will have less dynamics and less um, differences in the balances of the different elements. Sometimes you can fix something like a too loud kick, snare, vocal. You can fix over loudness. I, For me, different loudnesses on different formats is not a good idea also i've talked about this with my vinyl cutter and tried it a couple of times and everybody has kind of the same opinion that there is one master to rule them all there is this one sweet spot that you go to and then it sounds like that's how it's supposed to be mm -hmm. um so i will always try to aim for the lowest possible volume i can go but that is mostly above minus 14 and it's probably in the minus 11 to minus 10 range i'm trying to go to minus 11 trying to go to minus 12 because there that's where it sits the best most of the time if somebody mixes it to minus 8 lofs that means it will probably have to stay there maybe if i go down 1 db it will gain but most of the time the balances are just right there because they squash the transients of the drums yeah to sit exactly where they're supposed to sit in the limiter or whatever and and it, the funny thing is if i think about it some records they're not even allowed to get near zero and others are zero are in the zero from the very beginning so there's literally no rules and i'm a big believer in one master to rule all formats so i will try to find the spot where it sits exactly right and if you would lower it for some spotify or vinyl then this would not be the perfect master anymore because with i see yeah, yeah with level come all these like for example the transients get uh, softer and the drums are a little more buried the low end the lowest octave will change so 
lowering a master will immediately result in a different sound. And I had to learn the hard way because back in the day, I used to make the sound first and then turn it up and then do the sound again. Yeah. You know, and this makes you master the track two times. And now I go level first and then I start kind of tweaking the frequencies and the dynamics or obviously going into the level is is tweaking the dynamics already. I would not make a couple of different masters. Yeah, plus it's so, I mean, temporary and individual. I didn't know if I told you once. It's actually a nice little story about a master that you did. Uh, yeah. I remember this was a single and we did the EP afterwards of a, of, a, of a German band. I was really happy with the first single. You know, one of these productions, hey, you are happy with the mix. I sent it out to you. You were happy with the mix and I was happy with the master right away. No revisions. And then we had the rest of the EP And there were some singers, there was one very dense track that we kind of messed around with a lot. Yeah, you didn't like it. And I said, yeah, I know it's a bit <laughs> tricky, you know. And then we, and then it hit the platforms. And all of a sudden, the track that I liked most uh, was kind of feeling a bit dull. And the tracks I liked yeah. lesser were better. Probably it was just only loudness, right? On Apple Music, it was great. But on Spotify and YouTube, we were like, hey, the other tracks that we were actually less happy with when we listened to the files were a little bit better, actually. We perceived it as better. I wouldn't say better. But, you know, and then we said, no, yeah, you know, that's the way it is. But um, for some reason, I revisited the tracks in a playlist. It was maybe a year later. Mm-hmm. And the result was the track that was a little bit duller and a little bit less loud measured and sounded completely different and way better than the other ones because they changed the algorithm or whatever, you know? So ah, you, you, okay. you, cannot, you cannot rely on that. I, that, was, that was my lection of just make it sound good and eventually it will be good because all these algorithms, they, they get improved and whatever or amended changed i had an album i wanted to bring to minus 14 so spotify wouldn't turn it up mm -hmm. and it would land in spotify's limiter but the album was impossible to get to minus 14 because it was so dynamic that you heard you already heard the, um, the bending of the transients and it 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 was meant never meant to measure this loud and the artist accepted that I wanted to bring it up to minus 14. And after three hours, we did this together. After three hours, I turned around and I said, it will never fucking hit minus 14. <laughs> and he was laughing at me and he said, I know. I just wanted to see if you could maybe do it. And then he told me that this album will be sold on vinyl Uh, on a flea market in 50 years and in 50 years there will be no Spotify <laughs> so why should we Timeless. change it now for something which record yeah. was it and that's can what you I, tell it's Niels from All Melody oh right great and, and it measures minus 16.5 and that is really the maximum it can have because if you go half a dB higher you would have some of the low end attacks not be original anymore and obviously this is a very a very audiophile record where nothing has been nothing has been suffering for any level but in the very end he was perfectly right and ever since that 
I make records to be as they are. I will never try to fuck it for some format or whatever. Yeah. And some records really measure. Like some records I do, they are at minus 19, minus 20. Wow. So Spotify, if you have loudness um, matching on, then Spotify will limit this file a lot. Yes. But the the audio itself is intact. And if you listen to it, um, like most people that have a very sort of audiophile taste they will use title anyway or they will be they will have loudness normalization switched off because yeah. most of the records will suffer from it yeah and yeah but in the very end i i had another no this is another great example there was a band they came to me with a new album and they told me the story so the last album they had mastered in the uk and the guy squashed it extremely but he wasn't able to squash one song as much as the others or he squashed it the same amount but it didn't sound as loud as the others mm -hmm. so he then they said yeah sorry this song is not loud enough and then he mastered it even brighter and even louder so it could compare to the rest of the songs but now the song obviously got turned down so much more than the others on Spotify. So now it was even lower than before. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So you have a song and you have it kind of measuring similar, but sounding way less loud. And then you turn it up and then Spotify will turn it down even more. So you're, you will always be trapped within, within the, the, the algorithm that's making the decisions. Yeah. And I even know stories about... Like there's one mastering guy I know that he tells me every time he's happy, he just puts in another DB of very top end. So he sounds bright enough for the, for the playlists. But I would never change a song for a playlist, change a song for a format. Yeah. That is horrible. Yeah, and, and plus many of, of, of the mixing and mastering engineers I really highly value and talk with, they all say they might have 100% different approaches to what they do and what I talk about and also what music they master, but they all seem to agree uh, in the fact that they don't compare. They say, I don't, I don't ah. want to shoot references and that's the same thing that you told me, right? You don't compare your masters yeah. A, B to what, whatsoever. So, and they all seem to agree. That's really interesting. And I think comparison makes you vulnerable for fears, right? And it's, it's, it's about overcoming the fear of not being measurable with somebody. And I think compare is always something that makes you less unique, maybe, you know, and, and, and gets you totally. away from where does the record want to go, right? Somebody once said, I don't want to go to mastering because I don't want my record to sound like all the other records. Whoa. And it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a fair point. Okay. It's a very fair point. And I, I compare brutally to the mix or whatever has been sent to me. Of course. Brutally. Like I don't want to lose anything. That's the indication so of what I the artist always, wants, right? Yeah, exactly. And I want to stay in the ballpark. And we all know super dull records that are, insanely emotional we also all know super bright records that have so much power so there no uh, comparing and sort of matching something will never be the answer it will all the answer i think will always be um listening to the song and getting into this world instead yes. of comparing it to something yeah. else 
a, that because everything has to have an end, that leads us to a last question, and that's maybe a good transition to, you know, services like Lander and similar that now go to AI-based mastering. And you also said that you are working on a plugin with Acoustica Audio that kind of does things automatically. So... Tell me about it. Like, yeah, I see you moaning already. <laughs> but what is your... I'm thinking more of the release time or the tech time, you know, of a DS or... Okay, or of a... but what is your insight on the future of mastering? Do you think AI-based mastering in parts or as a whole has a future? Or do you believe that in whole or or in, uh, in, in parts, the future of masterings will go automatically? So... If I make a song, I want to have a person making the decisions. And especially the further to the finish line I get, I do, I want to have a skilled professional making the decisions. I don't want to have some automatic service, scan it and sort of do uh, how the other thousand songs sounded. That's number one. And then number two is if you... There is a guy who uploaded the same file to Lander and all these mastering services. And the file he got back, he uploaded <laughs> again, he uploaded again, and he uploaded again. And most of these algorithms do the same. So they do the same and same and same and same and same. So they will always add a touch more top end and make it a little louder. And even if you upload that file to it, it will make it brighter and louder. Then you re-upload, you get it brighter and louder. So in the very end... Those services, most of the time, they try to mimic what's happening. And while most mastering engineers will make it brighter and louder, that is yeah. not mastering, making something brighter and That's louder good. because you just... Oops, sorry, my coffee machine. Um, yeah, so while most people make it brighter and louder, you could just do that to your mix as well. And the funny thing is every time somebody sends me, like somebody says, oh, we don't have any budget for this song. So we uploaded it to Lander or something. Most of the time I tell them, take a clean limiter, make it as loud as the file you got back and then compare. And 99.9%, huh. the mix with the limiter on is winning against the Lander or Aria or whatever they called file. And for me, I, I don't even feel um, sort of fought against or I don't feel any sort of competition from these services because people that aim for lowest cost algorithm to do yeah. the mastering are not the people I'm working with anyway. Those, the people I'm working with, they're, they're listening to their album and they have this emotional connection to it and they want me to have my emotional connection with it, do what I'm doing to the music, and then I send it back, and most of the time they're happy with it. And most of the time it's a maybe more open, but not necessarily brighter, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really just like, do you want to have sent your song to a person and this person will have an emotional reaction to it? Or do you want to send it to some scanning algorithm that scans how the top end is and the base and then kind of lowers and hires what's what the last thousand songs sounded like and that's not really mastering to me mastering is not making something sound like everything else that's not mastering that's a really nice closing word for the first episode yes. <laughs> 
Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I didn't think we would um, do this for two hours. Yes, same to you, <laughs> Zeno. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, talk with me on so many topics now. And I'm really looking forward for our next project together. And um, me too. wishing you uh, the greatest of days and have a good time mastering records today. Thank you very much. <laughs> Tape Talks, the podcast for the recording artist, brought to you by Klangkantine Studios.